It was just another Tuesday in 2019. Construction workers showed up to a job site on a hot July morning and worked all day to clear out a field in Weld County, Colorado. Just before quitting time at 5, one of them made a gruesome discovery. Their shovels hit human bones, bones that had been buried there for a long time. Now, they didn't know it just yet, but they had just unearthed the missing puzzle piece to a decades-old mystery. It was the remains of Janelle Matthews, a 12-year-old girl from Greeley, Colorado. She'd been missing since 1984, and all that time she was decomposing in an unmarked grave 18 miles from home dead from a single shot to her forehead. Meanwhile, her killer paraded around under everyone's nose. He even ran for governor of Idaho twice. This is one unbelievable story. Welcome to True Crime Recaps. I'm Chris. It was five days before Christmas and every member of the Matthews family had their own agenda. Mom Gloria was sitting at the airport in Denver waiting to board a flight to Los Angeles to visit her sick father. The oldest, 16-year-old Jennifer, had a high school basketball game. Dad Jim dropped their youngest, 12-year-old Janelle, off at her middle school where she boarded a bus bound for a nursing home. She spent the night singing Christmas carols for the old folks. The plan was simple. Janelle would get a ride home with the Ross family, Jim and Gloria's friends from church, while Jim went to watch Jennifer's game. All went according to plan. It was around 8.15 when the Rosses dropped Janelle off at home. As they watched to make sure she got inside safely, they noticed the attached garage door was open. They figured, well, her dad must have forgotten to close it. But the Matthews lived in a safe little neighborhood, the kind of place where you could leave your garage open and only have to worry about unwanted leaves blowing inside. So the Rosses drove away without a second thought. Inside, Janelle kicked off her shoes and settled in front of the television. A space heater kept her warm, and the Christmas tree piqued her excitement for Santa. Just as she was getting into the TV show, the phone rang, and Janelle took a message for her father. He was the principal at a local school, and one of his teachers was calling out sick for the next morning. That phone call at 8.30 was the last time anybody spoke to Janelle. Jim got home at 9.30, and he remembers the exact time because a news radio program had just started. He walked in and called out to Janelle, but he never got an answer. She's probably hiding, waiting to pop out and scare him. Besides, he knew she was there. The TV and heater were on, her shoes were in the living room, and her favorite pillow was still on the floor, exactly where she'd always sit while watching TV. Next to the phone was her handwritten message from the teacher, but... There were no other notes from her. So he took out wrapping paper, tape, and scissors and wrapped a present he wanted to take to one of the janitors at school the next day. After about 10 minutes, he realized there'd been no sign of Janelle. That's when he started to worry. His oldest daughter walked through the door around 10 p.m. and Jim asked if she'd seen her sister. She hadn't. Both girls were good about leaving notes if they left the house. It was just not like Janelle to get up and walk away without a word. Greeley police were at the house 20 minutes later. There was no signs of struggle inside, but there were shoe prints in the snow outside. Meanwhile, poor Gloria had no idea what was going on at her house. It was freezing that night and several flights were delayed, including hers. She didn't land in L.A. until midnight and finally called home at 1 a.m. to let Jim know she was safe. He answered with the worst news a parent can hear. We can't find Janelle. Her heart fell into the deepest pit of her stomach. Her motherly instincts told her something 
was horribly wrong. Practically from the moment they met, Jim and Gloria had a vision for their perfect family. When they got married, they settled in California about an hour away from Los Angeles, hoping to raise two beautiful children. Their first daughter, Jennifer, was born in 1968, but Gloria struggled to get pregnant again. So they turned to adoption. The Children's Home Society of California paired them with a six-week-old baby they named Janelle. Her birth mother, Terry Vieira Martinez, was only 13 when the baby was born. She put her up for adoption since she couldn't take care of the child, seeing how she was still one herself. But adoption can be a slow process, and as the Matthews moved through the system, Jim got an offer to teach overseas in Beirut. He didn't want to turn it down, so the Children's Home Society fast-tracked their application, and Janelle officially became part of their family, until she was ripped away from it on Thursday, December 20th, 1984. Police had two suspects in mind. When they learned about Janelle's biological mother in L.A., they put a secret tail on her for six weeks. It wouldn't be unheard of to think she drove out to Greeley to kidnap Janelle, but the officers following her didn't notice anything off. She was just an average woman living her life. Primary suspect number two was Jim. Why him? Because most violent crimes are committed by people you love. And he understood that and wanted the cops to investigate all possible suspects. They hooked him up to lie detector tests, but he had nothing to hide. After months in the hot seat, they stopped trying to find evidence against him that wasn't there. Unfortunately, they had no other leads to follow. Janelle's case got colder as weeks turned to months and months turned to years. Gloria turned to God. Meanwhile, Jim tried to accept the fact that he might never see his youngest daughter again. Aside from Jim and Terry, a third person of interest was on the cop's radar, a man who lived a couple of miles away from the family. At one point, he even went to their church, although by the time they moved into town, he had already been asked not to come back. His name? Steve Pankey. They couldn't tie him directly to the case, but he's been strangely addicted to the investigation since the day she went missing. Back then, the Pankey family was Dad Steve, his now ex-wife Angela, two sons, Mark and Carl. The oldest was five, and they had two Great Danes, Marble and Butch. According to Angela, Steve usually left in the morning and came home between 4 and 11 p.m. She couldn't recall when he got home on the night of December 20th, but she did remember some strange behavior in the days before and after. You see, Steve was a horrible husband. Cruel, controlling, abusive. He wouldn't allow her to see her family, drive, or even watch TV or listen to the radio. In fact, TV, newspapers, and radio were strictly forbidden in the Pankey household. And Angela was told in no uncertain terms to stay out of his things and his business. A few days before Janelle went missing, Steve's parents called to invite them out to Big Bear, California for Christmas. That sounds reasonable until you learn that Steve and his parents were almost totally estranged. Steve told Angela they weren't going, but he still asked his father for money to make the 15-hour drive to Big Bear. Angela figured Steve just wanted the money as the family wasn't doing too well financially. He was the type of guy who thought he was smarter than everyone, which meant he couldn't hold down a job. At the time, he was selling used car parts. But after Janelle went missing, things were different. On December 21st, Steve changed his mind about going to Big Bear. He told the family to pack up, which came as not so welcome a surprise for Angela. Taking a spur-of-the-moment trip with little kids is hard enough, but with two big dogs also? You definitely need a little time. So she asks, what about the dogs? And he says, don't worry about the dogs. The dogs are gone. I dumped them. She never saw Marble and Butch again. 
Steve's mother was also surprised when they showed up. She didn't think they were coming, so she already sent their Christmas presents in the mail. But the stay didn't last long. After getting into a fight with his father, Steve packed up the car and the family left on Christmas Eve. Angela remembers driving in silence until he asked her to find a news radio station, which was odd for a man who didn't allow such luxuries. When she landed on a station covering the tragic disappearance of a 12-year-old girl from Greeley, he told her to stop flipping. The story consumed him, and before heading home, he pulled over at a grocery store and told her to buy two newspapers. As he drove, he made her read articles out loud to him over and over. One from the Denver Post and another from the Greeley Tribune, both about Janelle's disappearance. When they finally got home, he randomly changed into overalls, grabbed a shovel, and said he needed to fix an issue with the septic tank. He began digging up the frozen front yard. Angela knew not to ask questions. She thought it was odd, though, as they'd just replaced the tank that year, and as far as she knew, there was nothing wrong with it. Later that week, she smelled smoke coming from the backyard. She walked outside to find Steve, once again holding a shovel, standing next to a car with flames licking at the seats. It was one of the many cars he owned for his car parts business. A month later, while everyone in Greeley was out searching for the missing girl, Steve got himself thrown out of church. Apparently, the pastor said he got a sign from God that Janelle would be found safe and sound. In response, Steve yelled, false prophet. Then he stood up and went to the back of the church where he paced back and forth, repeating the phrase to himself until he was removed. The Pankey family left Colorado behind and moved to Idaho in the 90s. By then, Jim and Gloria had made their rounds on television, pleading for anyone with information to come forward about their missing daughter. Meanwhile, in Sun Valley, Idaho, Steve Pankey was getting more and more obsessed with the case as the years went by. One month, Angela found out they hadn't paid the rent. When she confronted Steve about it, he said the money went towards legal fees. What legal fees? He claimed the police were out to get him because he wouldn't tell them what he knew about Janelle without a deal for immunity. Angela asks, Janelle Matthews? To which Steve responds, do you really think I would hurt her? She looked just like you. With that one statement, she knew her husband had something to do with that little girl's disappearance, or at least was hiding something crucial to the case. So she took matters into her own hands and marched down to the Sun Valley Police Department. She asked if her husband had, in fact, come in, claiming to have information on Janelle. Not only had he come in, but he'd already been to multiple police departments with the same deal. Information in exchange for immunity. Angela poked holes in Steve's alibi when she told police they'd left for his parents' house on the 22nd. Steve said they left on the 19th, thus putting them out of town when Janelle went missing. From there, Angela started reading up on the case. The cops asked her to make notes about anything that stood out to her, and one article jumped off the page immediately. It included a quote from the officer at the house that night. If you remember, they said there weren't signs of struggle, but there were shoe prints in the snow outside. Well... Angela said Steve told her someone took the rake out of the garage and raked over the shoe prints in the backyard, but that information was never made public. So how did Steve know? He said a cop let it slip out during one of his many visits to discuss the case. He was taking an interest because he loved true crime and was just really getting into it. Everything they had against him was purely circumstantial. There was no fingerprints or DNA or any evidence left behind. It'd be impossible to get him on first-degree murder, so biding their time was the only option. 
Steve and Angela divorced in the early 2000s, and once again, for absolutely no reason, Janelle's name came up. In court filings, he wrote that her family should know she, quote, died before crossing 10th Street, which was just minutes away. Then, tragedy struck again in 2008. You're not going to believe this. Steve's son, Carl, was murdered by his girlfriend. She shot him. At the funeral, Angela and her sister recalled Steve looking at the urn and saying, I hope God didn't allow this to happen because of Janelle Matthews. Eleven more years passed. Steve ran for Idaho governor twice, once in 2014 and again in 2018, and three times he tried to run for sheriff, even though he wasn't a police officer. It's very weird. Meanwhile, his letters to the DA's office about this case started to get returned to him unopened. By 2019, Jim and Gloria were retired and living in Costa Rica, but they were starting to think they should move back to the U.S. to be closer to Jennifer, who was living in Washington State. As they got their Costa Rican home ready for sale, they got the call they'd been waiting for. After 34 years, Janelle had finally been found. On Monday, October 12, 2020, police arrested then-69-year-old Steve, charging him with the 1984 kidnapping and murder of Janelle Matthews. According to a grand jury indictment, he came to the door with a gun, kidnapped Janelle, and shot her in the process. His first trial ended in a mistrial as the jury couldn't reach a unanimous decision on first-degree murder and kidnapping. Most of the evidence was circumstantial, but... It was a lot of circumstances. 70 pages worth of the bizarre things he said and done to law enforcement, his wife, random people. But nothing physical tied him to the murder. There was also the question of why. What was his motive for killing a girl he didn't even know? Maybe it comes back to what he told his wife. Janelle reminded him of her, which is concerning. But the guy was a true crime fan. Not that that makes you a killer, obviously. I mean... <laughs> We're normal. But since he knew the husband is always the first suspect, maybe he didn't think he could get away with killing his wife, so he targeted Janelle. And the family lived on the route to her middle school, and he may have seen her walking home. Or at church. And get this, the man who drove her home that night, the Rosses? Well, he was a former supervisor of Steve's, and Steve apparently hated him. At one point, he told police the man should be a suspect. Maybe he was trying to frame him. We may never know because Steve still insists he's innocent and all that talk about knowing something about the case was just his way of getting attention. He made it all up. But over the years, his statements implicated him repeatedly. In Steve's second trial in the fall of 2022, the jury was convinced and found him guilty with life in prison. And at 71... It's hard to say how long that life will last, but he's not worried about burning in hell. He claims he's a good Christian and he's going to heaven because he's innocent. So, what do you think of this unusual case? And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time. Take care.